0: Once upon a time, there was a fish named Freddy. Freddy was no different from the other fish in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. He lived his life in a clean, low-level coral cave with his kind and with some others. Life for Freddy was simple, and it was predictable, which predictability was really his friend. He was there and enjoyed his life in a simple, uncomplicated way. The first time, though, that Freddie began to notice his world getting a little complicated was when he went off to school. Not lower school, of course. He loved lower school, where he was taught the differences between the species and the wonders of the reef and the stories about other undersea lands farther than he would ever get to travel. No, it was when he reached his upper schooling that things began to get really confusing for Freddie. You see, Freddie was a very faithful, hardworking student. So much so that he was able to attend university at a large reef that was long, far away from his home, but very close to the shallowing of the water. Freddie liked university for the most part. It gave him time and permission to look into his subjects more deeply and to think through the implications of fish life a little more carefully. But there was one class that Freddie took during his fresh fresh fish year that was... (laughs) that was particularly um, unsettling. Uh, This particular professor was an older, grumpy blowfish who was teaching beginner philosophy. And he had this regular habit of sort of leaving the given topic of the day and going on these extended rants about all of his various pet topics. But his favorite topic was dry land. The problem with your average fish, he would often say, Is surrounding him at all times and stated simply it is water water has been blinding our eyes to to a hopelessly monotonous existence that honestly is it's been around since the beginning of our species the truth that no one else will tell you is that there exists in the world an entirely alternate state of being that is accessible to everyone here and maybe to even a brave few of you. Those who have tried it have found it so glorious that they've never even returned from it. The professor would go on like this for hours. He would talk about how wonderful was the sunshine, how its warmth would calm you. He would talk about the beauty of the the dry, sandy beach and how no slick slime could ever stay there. Finally, he would talk about the cleansing effect of this thing called air, And at first, Freddie wasn't buying any of it. He knew from his spawning that going anywhere near the shallowing water was forbidden by any fish. But still, his professor was so earnest, his, his classmates were so curious, that he found himself one afternoon with some of his best friends staring off into the shallowing water. Could it be as good as they say? Is there something missing from my life that would make it more exciting well, the curiosity was just unbearable. And so Freddie decided that he would at least give it a try. And so, after a little bit of goading from his friends, Freddie began to swim towards the shallow water. Faster and faster he went as the sandy bottom rushed up underneath him. And at the very moment that he couldn't swim anymore, he turned upward and thrust himself out of the water and onto the empty sandy beach. At last, Freddie was free. From the constrictive water. Of course it didn't take too long for Freddie to notice that things might not be as great as they said up here. That sunshine wasn't warm. It was was actually painfully hot and and it burned his eyes. The beautiful sand may have been nice looking but the, the coarseness of it scratched at his scales and cut him. And of course, the worst of it came when he opened his mouth to take a a great big gulp of this wonderful air he had heard of. But of course, when he did, nothing happened. It began to choke him. His head got light. He began to weaken. He made a couple of attempts to sort of flop around and make some progress to who knows where. But eventually, he was stuck. And there he lay exhausted, cut up, worn out, and suffocating on the beach, It was only a random heavy wave that ended up saving Freddie. Had it not washed up and pulled him out the moment it did, Freddie probably would have died on the spot. But as soon as the tide pulled him back out into the open sea, Freddie slowly and painfully made his way back to the reef, a much smarter fish. So if you're just joining us here this morning, you've caught us in the moment of another sort of milestone In a three-year study we've been going through in our church over the three great principles that we built this church upon that defines our mission, we've been talking about what it means to proclaim a hope, to build a home, and to launch a healing. In my first year here, we did a launch through the entire book of Luke, seeing that this proclamation of hope is contained in the scriptures and leads us to Jesus We spent the next year looking at the book of Exodus and the book of Ephesians to figure out what it means to be the people of God, both their origin and their consummation of what the Bible calls the church, a Christian's true spiritual home. Well, beginning today, we are now going to spend another year looking at what we mean when we say that we're here to launch a healing. So we will begin this semester a study through the Ten Commandments. And man, I wish I could get your immediate reaction when you hear that we'll be studying something from the Old Testament. You have a lot of people in our day that'll be like, whoa, 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 I thought the Ten Commandments, that was Old Testament stuff. Aren't we New Testament Christians in our world? And that's really an important sort of question to deal with before we ever start this study. And you would need to know that in our theological traditions, we're attempting to be what I would describe of as whole Bible Christians which means that we not only assume, not only do we not assume that the New Testament and the Old Testament are in conflict with each other, but we actually believe that the New Testament fulfills what was being laid out in the Old Testament in types and in signs. One theologian put it this way, what we have as a flickering candle in the Old Testament becomes a bright burning beacon in the New. Same light but unfolding intensity and focus. So by way of introduction of the series, I want to look first of all at just two things. I want to look at first of all, people's responses to the idea of God's commands. And then secondly, look briefly at the blessings that come to people who take them seriously. We're hoping to find Jesus in these commands. But in the Ten Commandments... Okay, stay tuned on that one. First of all, I want to look very briefly in introduction to this series at the way in which people typically receive the impression of this study. The first one goes like this. I'll call the first reaction the traditionalist's response. When you hear this study, people immediately think things like this. Well, you know what? At last. It is finally time to jerk some of these people into shape. You know, for far too long, we as a nation have drifted from our moral moorings. Lawlessness reigns in the world today. You could see it when our government took prayer out of the schools and made it somehow illegal even to post the Ten Commandments in public places. We need to get tougher on people and make sure that the upheaval going on around us is quickly squashed by reminding people of goods law. Good for you, preacher boy, for teaching through the Ten Commandments. Now look, I'm caricaturing, of course, but my guess is some of you, this spirit resonates with some of you. This is the reaction of the cultural conservative, the culture warrior who is trying to stem the tide of moral drift that they see happening in our country. But I wonder if that resonates with you, if I could get you to think just about a couple of things First of all, I want to invite you to be very careful about how you talk about our nation quote, drifting from what it used to be. I actually would argue that a lot of the upheaval that we're experiencing in our world and the divisions that seem to be deepening with every every passing week are due in some measure to a different assessment of our nation's personal history. You need to know whether you disagree with them or not. That where we've been hasn't always been moral in the minds of significant parts of our population and, and represents and, and sort of attempts to sort of attach nostalgia to it can be downright offensive. To go back to the old days maybe it was not that great. But second, I want you also to be careful to note, to note that don't assume that what our society needs more than anything else right now is a greater application of the rules. Now look, I'm not suggesting that there's no value in a culture remembering how the universe works by God's design. Why else else would I do this study? What I mean is simply this. Don't assume that just because people adopt, subscribe, or maybe pledge themselves to follow rules better, (laughs) that this alone is going to heal our society. You don't need to assume that. Actually, quite the contrary. I think what you're going to discover is that the deeper you dive into the Ten Commandments and what God actually means by these commandments, what you're going to discover is that nobody has the moral high ground to condemn others when they're standing in front of these commands. At least not those who take them seriously. Is there not a case to be made that that's what made this summer so excruciating for us? We don't like it when we feel put down, when we feel condescended to. You know, we, 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 some, Someone actually called me a racist, and I don't like it. Our hearts naturally want to get out from under that kind of scrutiny. But look, if that is your posture as we enter this study, I promise you, it is going to be a tough slog. Because these commands, said Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, are not given to you to wound you. These commands are given to you to kill you. (laughs) Why? Because these commandments have to humble you before they ever transform you. So if you kind of feel a little bit proud of yourself because of the superiority of your moral code, it's likely that you've never applied this code to yourself. Humility is what we have to approach. That's the traditionalist response. But secondly, I want to look at what what we might call the revisionist response. Their response to a Ten Commandments study might sound something like this. (laughs) What? Commandments? Are we really going to talk about commandments in our day and age? First, you know what you Christians call commandments? You don't realize those are nothing more than power grabs from ancient uh, imperialistic regimes we're trying to find ways to keep the underclass suppressed. And not only that, it just feels regressive to talk about rules. But let's be honest. The only real rule that we need to appreciate in our time is the rule of your heart. To be authentic. To, to, to open up your, to your true self to live your truth. And again, I'm caricaturing again, but some of you have probably, if you don't have that spirit inside you probably know someone who talks like that this is the spirit of the youthful idealist the liberal progressive zealot who is just ready to break down all of your expectations about what you think life should look like but for you as well I wonder if I could get you to think about a couple of things the first thing is this you're absolutely correct that in ancient history we have all kinds of examples of behavior codes that have a lot of similarities to the Ten Commandments the, the the famous code of hammurabi comes to mind but these similarities in ancient law code doesn't actually militate against the inspired nature of the 10 commandments at all why well because if the christian god is who he says he is, who we say that he is the god it makes perfect sense that when his creatures begin to sort of formulate moral code that they would ape what they know in their hearts to be true because they're created in his image And actually the similarities in those law coups, they don't sort of argue against the existence of God. They argue for the existence of the Christian God because other people are sort of imitating it. But you know, it's that second objection that I was sort of caricaturing that I really want to talk about. And that is that the only rule in life is the rule of yourself. You know, this up and coming generation cherishes freedom more than any other value. My reason for existence, they will tell you, is to know myself and then be true to that self. And in the process, I'm ready to throw off any attempts that someone might make to fashion me into their image. I'm here to forge my own way, they will tell you. Man, there is so much to be said about this perspective. But I only have time to mention just sort of this. Hey, how's that working for you? Progressive, young, liberal. (laughs) Because if there's anything that we should take away from the last few months of conflict in our world, is it not that when people are true to themselves, folks get hurt when that happens? I feel confident in my guess that there is no activist who had even the slightest interest in a confederate sympathizer being true to themselves, In other words, there was an instinct in you to rely upon a higher law, upon a truth that transcends a terrible rationale for allowing images that are hurtful to 40% of our state. In other words, if you set freedom as the sole personal value in your life, do you realize that now you have no foundation to condemn someone else in their individual pursuit of the same freedom? But, of course, losing that right doesn't occur to someone when the rioting starts, now does it? Why? Because if you remove any sense of a higher law in the moral universe, then all you really have are raw power grabs. It's whoever's the strongest. It's the will to power, as Nietzsche said. Look, you condemn the Ten Commandments as a power grab of an ancient civilization, fine. But when it really comes down to it, you're grabbing power just as much on the basis of your conception of what is right and wrong. It's not the existence of a code that you resent. It's that folks aren't adopting your code. In the Bible's words, you've become your own God. And by the way, in the very first of the commands, God's going to want to talk to you about that. Look, the Christian claim about the Ten Commandments is very simple. Just like any complicated precision instrument, the facets of your humanity hang together in such a way that when you honor your design, your life is blessed. However, when you dishonor that design, your life is full of destruction and alienation and dysfunction. That's the simple idea. That's the point of Freddie's story. Freddie the fish is trying to tell you that in your pursuit of freedom, you can actually lose your freedom. There's a kind of freedom that doesn't make you free. It's the kind of freedom that fails to honor your design, your manufacturer's design. So look, take this home today, will you? What struck you when you heard that we were going to do this study? How did you react because whether you come from the right or the left side of our present political discourse and cultural divide, my guess is you're going to have some thinking to do. So those are our responses. But secondly and finally, I want to leave without talking about the blessings that can come from this sort of study. The Bible says there's an ocean of blessing that are waiting for people when they dive into this. Because the converse must be true. True freedom in being and living is doing so in the manner that you were created to live and to act. And what I think you're going to see is a handful of benefits. I thought of a few. Number one is this. Studying the Ten Commandments can bring a lot of clarity to your life. My guess is one of the reasons why things are hard for us right now is because life just seems complicated, doesn't it? You come to places like Christ Prez, and frankly, it just gets all the more confusing. The Bible seems to be a hopelessly complicated book, that no one, it seems, can really agree on anything that it teaches. You may feel vaguely religious sometimes, but because it never attaches to anything particular, it never organizes itself around any kind of applicable idea to your life, it just doesn't last long. The first first distraction that comes your way, whatever you felt while you were in church, just kind of dissolves. But look, this study can actually help sort of clear the cobwebs from your religious experience. Do you want to know what it means to follow God? Well, here's his top 10. You know, so many churches, we, have, we get into arguments about worship styles, uh, denominational differences, uh, the ethics of, of parenting, and educational philosophies. And all it's doing is confusing us. But here's the thing this is what God wants us to know. And actually, it's not complicated. It's hard. (laughs) Come to that more in a minute. But it's clear. My guess is the study of the Ten Commandments is going to reveal to some of you that you live with a lot of false guilt. Many of you grew up in religious homes that, frankly, made principles out of things that were nothing more than cultural preference. What it's going to trade for that is what I'm going to call clear guilt. (laughs) Something you can see and something you can understand. And clarifying your guilt is actually the first step to getting it healed. So that's the first benefit, clarity. Number two, the Ten Commandments can bring a sense of adventure to your life. If you take Freddie's story to its logical end, you begin to realize that the rules about staying away from from the shallows, so far from being restrictive on his life, actually expanded it. You see, his parents knew that the ocean was plenty wide and expansive enough to fill up a thousand lifetimes of investigation. Reminds me of a story from a Pennsylvania public school system that had a large playground on one end of its property. And over the years, the streets surrounding that playground began to get really busy. And so the administrators, fearing an accident, decided they would put up a fence around the perimeter of the playground to keep the children safe. Well, as soon as the parents saw it, they were horrified. Why? They said, it looks like my children are in prison out there. Well, the fight got so built up that it actually made its way all the way to the city school board, where eventually the only solution was to take the fence down and remove it. What do you think happened the very next day after that fence was removed? If you're thinking that someone got struck and killed, you would be wrong. What happened the next day is that the children huddled in the center of the playground, terrified of what awaited them, even feet from that small, little, safe space. Don't you see? The fence gave them the playground. And all I want you to consider is what if the Ten Commandments have at their heart God's intention to give you the whole world as his place? Thirdly, and finally, the Ten Commandments bring intimacy into your life. Look, notice what the passage said that Scott read. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, therefore you shall have no other gods. You've heard me say this before, y'all. The order is everything. It absolutely cannot be that the Ten Commandments are a moral ladder that you are to work your way up to in order to your having a relationship with God. Do these things and you will be blessed. That is the opposite of Christianity. Christianity says, no, God has established a relationship with you. He has freed you from the bonds of the slavery to sin. Therefore, on the basis of that action, live this way. Why? Because there's no other way to come into a conscious appreciation of his love for me without following his guidelines. Think about this for a second. Think about your marriage problems for a moment. My guess is that it didn't take you very long to realize that it's very easy for your partner to pledge their love for you in the dark when passions are running high. But boy, it's a whole different kind of love when they sacrifice for me, when they give up their time and their money and their talents to be with me. If my spouse says that they love me but then acts like a jerk... What good does that love do you? Look, my goal in these next few months is to recast God's law in your imagination. And as it turns out, the Bible does this and lays it out in some fascinating ways. Look, remember where we are in this part of Exodus. The Jewish people have just been released from captivity in Egypt in this miraculous way. And they've journeyed to this mountain which is literally on fire with the glory and the presence of God. What is happening, they must have thought. Well, here's what's happening. This is amazing. When you go back to Genesis chapter 1, that chapter, you'll realize that when God spoke the world into existence, he did so by uttering, ready for this, 10 sayings. What was he doing? He was giving instruction to his son, Adam. Now, at the foot of Mount Sinai, he speaks 10 new words to a new Adam. The children of Israel showing that he's creating all over again. He's ready to recreate the world around his intentions. So his Ten Commandments are about the Jewish people's mission. It's God giving them their marching orders. Israel is God's son. And when God's son obeys his word, you know what he becomes? He becomes like a little boy who wants to act like his daddy. Little boys with good fathers want to be like that father. But, of course, you know how the story goes. (laughs) That first son rebelled against his father, and so the the father had to send the oldest brother, Jesus, to perfectly keep the law and to launch the ultimate healing for the universe. What's the point? Simply this. It's only in Jesus that you see the reason for the Ten Commandments. Martin Luther King Jr. once quoted a pastor from the early part of the 20th century who once said this, the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. I think every Christian can get on board with that statement. But can I edit it slightly and say that the ark of the moral universe bends towards the will of God, of the God of the universe, and his will is perfectly expressed in the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. That is the motion of human history. Look, if you pick up a block of wood and you move your hand along with the grain, you can experience all of the beauty of the wood. But when you turn that block around and go against the grain, you are going to splinter up your life. What if God's law is like that block of wood? Look, I simply want to leave you this question. What if the dysfunction of our souls, what if the breakdown of unity and sanity in our country as Americans, what if the the languishing of being experienced by our poor in our cities, what if all of that brokenness can be framed by a fresh look at the law of God? And even further than that, what if we can be a part of the healing of our communities because at least we know what it looks like? (laughs) That's what I'm hoping. If you're interested in that, come back and join us. Let's, Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, then be gracious to us to look carefully into this. It's a a terrifying study. As we'll learn next week, These, these commandments undo us. They lay us bare. And that is contrary to our instinct. So Lord, we are asking that you would be so gracious to prepare us this morning. Get us ready for that revelation inside of our hearts by humbling us. Make us, Father, to be those people that come before these commandments looking for a Savior before we ever start to look at them. Would you do that? We ask it all in Jesus' name.